called a disciple. The one time the word is used in its feminine form in the New Testament, but one of many instances where gender didn't seem to matter to the early believers. These are the Holy Scriptures according to Acts, the ninth chapter. Now in Joppa there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. And Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, three readings. Who knew when you got out of bed this morning what treat God had in store for you? An extra scripture reading. How lucky are you guys? So we've got Psalm 23, Revelation 7, Acts 9. They're pretty different from each other. They do have one thing in common. Anyone know what it is? These are all readings that are often used at funerals. So, okay, we're going to do a hand pull. Which of these readings do you want read at your funeral? Raise your hand for Psalm 23. God with you every step of your life. A lot. Okay. How about Revelation 7, a day when pain, suffering, and tears are all behind us? A couple... Okay, anyone for Acts 9? Resurrection, being raised up? No, it's just because none of you want them to say the word Dorcas at your funeral, right? <laughs> I know, that's okay, I get that, I get that. It's interesting to me that these are all used as funeral readings because despite common misconceptions, none of these readings are actually about what happens to us when we die. Let's look at them a little bit more closely. So, Psalm 23... Who, uh, anyone here have to memorize Psalm 23? I did. Anyone have it memorized? A couple. Did you memorize it with words that are different than the words that are in here today? Yes. Do you remember what any of the differences are? Did anyone maybe memorize this with the words, uh, the shadow of death? Yes, me too. Or um, that last line? dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah, that's what I memorized too. And I think those words actually are why we often think of this with funerals, right? Because the idea of God walking with us through death and then welcoming us to an eternal home with God, that makes sense for a funeral. Um, but the reason those words aren't in this version is because this is an updated version. It's meant to more closely match the Hebrew, the original Hebrew that it's written in. So, like the word that we used to know as death, it's really in Hebrew, it's more like darkness. So we're talking about like a metaphorical death, a time, a time of trial and suffering. And um, the word for forever is more, is like all time. 
so more like every day of your life. So this idea that whatever you're going through, even through the valleys, God is with you every step of the way. And in all of the trials that you face, God is there providing you like a home, a, a safe place, a sanctuary. You always have that in God no matter what you're facing. So beautiful, but not about what happens when you die. Okay, then Revelation 7. This is a story about a time when all of our trials have passed, right? So these are powerful words of hope and promise to people who are suffering, saying that the present powers they face are not ultimate powers, and that the power of God ultimately is bigger than whatever we're facing, and that however hard it is right now, one day we will come out on the other side and we'll come out victorious. So huge, beautiful promise and image. And I think we conflate it with heaven a lot because like people in white robes <laughs> gathered around the throne. But this is written to people who are suffering uh, persecution and oppression under their current government, under the Roman Empire. And just, these are words are telling them to hang on, like hang in there. Not until you die and get to leave by going to heaven, but, but hang in there until the day when there is justice and peace here in this world, in your world. Okay, and then Acts 9. This is a story about legacy, the legacy of Tabitha or Dorcas, which I can't, I'm really trying, but I can't quite say that name without giggling. But actually, her names are really important. Uh, the fact that she's named at all tells us that she is important. Named as a disciple, that's the only feminine form uh, that word is used in, in the Greek. The fact that she's named at all, a lot of women in the Bible are just left unnamed. And she's not one name, but both of her names, right? So Tabitha is her Hebrew name. That's what her like immediate circle would know her as, the people who are there. Dork is her Greek name. That's what she would have been known in out in the wider community. So that's a way of telling us that these acts of love and service that she did, they were known far and wide, right? Like she impacted far beyond just her immediate circle. And so this story is essentially God uh, looking at this legacy of love that she has left and saying, Tabitha, the work that you do, it is too important to let that work die. So I think we use it at funerals a lot because like resurrection and life after death. Um, but if you think about it, she doesn't die in this story, but she doesn't live forever, right? But that legacy of love and service, that is definitely alive and well. Every church I've ever been a part of has a Tabitha, right? I bet you know Tabithas. This church has lots of Tabithas, those women who live their lives in the service of others. That is something that is alive and well and will never, ever die. So, three readings, none of them about what happens to us when we die. All, I do think they're, they're great for funerals, right? Like, if you think of Psalm 23 and a gathering to celebrate someone's life and this idea from Psalm 23 of looking back the course of your whole life, all the ups and downs, and honoring how God was there through all of it, that's perfect for a funeral, for sure. Or Revelation 7, that promise of comfort and victory when trials are all in the past, that's powerful, maybe for the person who died if they had like a really hard life, but especially for those of us who are left behind, 
Like the people who are there and heartbroken and grieving, how powerful that image of God reaching out and wiping tears away from our eyes. That's incredible. And then, I mean, the Acts reading. I can think of a lot of funerals I've been to where that idea of a legacy of love that is so powerful that it outlives our earthly life, that's very appropriate often for a funeral. So great readings, all of them, they don't tell us a lot about what happens to us when we die, which is a good thing to think about because as Christians, that is a central part of our faith, right? We believe in everlasting life. But what does that mean? Does everlasting life mean that we're just like really fully extra alive in this life? Does everlasting life mean we leave and go some keep living somewhere else after we die? Is everlasting life not about us and our own life at all, but about some day in the future when God will come back and remake this world, make all things new, put an end to suffering and death once and for all? We don't really know. Maybe all of the above. And if you think about it, being able to answer that question, what happens to us when we die, it's only important to the extent that our beliefs about death change the way we live our life. So it is good for us to think about as people of faith, what do we believe about death and how does that change how we live our life, right? You look at... um, the Bible, and you look at things that Jesus says, and for sure, Jesus seems much more interested in helping us be fully alive in this life than in what happens next. And for sure, the Bible is full of images of God remaking this world into the world that we all know it can be and should be. But honestly, for me, that's like not quite enough. I firmly believe that there is more than just this life. I need to believe that there is more than just this life. And I don't have like any evidence or proof or anything, but here's what I do have. I know people that we meet in El Salvador, a lot of whom have really great lives, but a lot of whom really, really struggle, suffer, right? And I was just thinking about someone like Lydia who she lives on this steep hillside and she makes her money by trekking down to the river and carrying up buckets of sand. This is like a 50-year-old woman. Carries up buckets of sand that she sells to construction companies to make cement. And she like invited us to her house. So one room, dirt floors, no electricity, no running water. Her biggest dream in life is to have a door. Her kids have fled because the neighborhood isn't safe for them with all of the gangs. And maybe like, maybe her life will get better, right? Maybe we'll be able to help her. Maybe she'll be able to help herself. But her circumstances are probably not going to change that much. And if this one life is all Lydia gets, that just doesn't seem fair. That just is not good enough to me. And then I think about, like, we went Friday night to Serenity Inns. Our confirmation kids made them dinner. And meeting these guys who are in recovery, and they are incredible and honest and brave and strong and working so hard to become the people that they want to be. And they share stories with us 
so many of them, what they've been through, it's so awful. And it's just like they never had a chance. We were talking to this guy, Prentice, and his aunt was killed in front of him when he was 12. And that kind of started his whole downward cycle. And he's doing really well right now, thanks be to God. But all of those guys have stories of friends who just kind of get stuck in the cycle of recovery and then relapse and recovery and relapse. And they all have buried friends, every single one of them. And I just think, if this one life is all they have, that is not good enough for me. And we all know stories like that, right? Stories of heartbreak, stories of tragedy, stories where no matter how hard we worked and tried, they just we were never able to get to a happy ending. And it's not just those stories, right? For sure it's those stories for me, but it's not, it's not just those, like it's not always big dramatic stuff. Sometimes it's really little things, like even just for me, I know I'll just get this feeling sometimes, even when life is going like really well, like this feeling of being a little bit lonely or a little bit out of place, a little bit like unsatisfied or unfinished or, or not quite at home. There are so many bold and beautiful promises that God makes to us in the Bible. I'll be with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am making all things new. I am working all things together for your good. Nothing will ever separate you from my love. And a lot of us are still waiting for God to make good on some of those promises. This world is still waiting for God to make good on some of those promises. So maybe they aren't true. Or more, maybe this story just isn't over yet. Right? Maybe there's more to the story. So that's why everlasting life makes sense to me. It just seems like there's got to be more to this story. There's got to be more to Lydia's story, more to Prentice's story, more to my story and your story and the world's story. And then I see, I see all the time the way our belief changes the way we live, right? Our belief about what happens to us when we die. And I see the comfort it gives us when we lose somebody that we love. And I see the courage it gives us when we are going through something hard. And I see the peace that it gives us when we reach the end of our journey. So that's why I believe in everlasting life. At least I think I believe. Maybe that's good enough. But for all of you, for all of us, may we think really deeply about what it is that we believe. May we be okay with not being 100% sure what it is. May we experience the reality of resurrection, both in this life and in the life to come. When we walk through the valley, may we know that God walks there with us. When we go through times of trial, may we find great hope in the promise of a day when those trials and pain and tears are no more. When we're knocked down and laid out, may we feel hands reach down to us and lift us back up. And most of all, may we know that nothing, not even death, will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus.